The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga with yogis from around the world. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Bruce Lipton. He's a stem cell biologist, the author of a number of books, including The Biology of Belief and Spontaneous Evolution. He's an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirituality, and that's really, I think, where we're going to go today. His essay, How and Why to Let Go of Fear, appears in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Bruce Lipton, welcome to Essential Conversations. I am so honored to be here with you in this wonderful audience because uh, uh, having been a conventional scientist for most of my life and then finding this other community, I am so happy to be here. So thank you for this opportunity, Rabbi. Well, it's our pleasure. So so because the show is always constrained by time, let's just jump in on what you call the elephant in the room in your essay, and that's the sixth mass extinction. So it's, not, it's sort of depressing, but give, me, give us some sense of what the sixth mass extinction is and how can, we, how can, and how can I profit from it. <laughs> well, if you're SO or Exxon, no, let's, uh, oh. let's go back and, and recognize that um, uh, there are five previous uh, what we call mass extinctions of life. And these are uh, events that occurred over uh, millions of years ago, uh, uh, where from 70 to 90 percent of life gets wiped out after some particular incident. Uh, the last one was 66 million years ago, and that's when uh, the, the ecology environment was thriving, but it was filled with dinosaurs and things like that. And, uh, apparently, uh, uh, an asteroid hit, uh, near Mexico and, um, this giant asteroid upended the environment and, uh, 70 to 90% of life got wiped out, including, of course, the dinosaurs got wiped out. Uh, today we are in what is called the six mass extinction. I said, we're, we're in it. We're already in it. I'll give you some examples of numbers that are just like take your breath away when you realize the magnitude of it. Um, they took a survey of how many animals were on planet Earth in 1970, uh, and they just recently re redid the survey again, and two-thirds of the animals have disappeared. So uh, since 1970, we've lost two-thirds of animal life on this planet, one-third. So uh, mass extinction is 70, 90%. Well, there's 66% right there. Uh, but we're also uh, down 90% uh, of the fish in the sea with an extinction date of 2048, meaning by 2048, there will be no fish in the ocean on planet Earth uh, due to overfishing, pollution, destroying the breeding grounds. Uh, 
the uh, very interesting study just came in last week uh, from Germany. Uh, they've been for 27 years have been a survey of uh, the insect populations in the national parks. Uh, they now calculated in the 27 years since they started, uh, they're down 75%. So only 25% of the insects are left. So the relevance why all this is happening is that there's an upheaval in the environment and nature is being upended. And where we come into it is, well, the previous mass extinctions were due to like comets hitting the earth or massive geological activity. The current mass extinction is directly attributed to human behavior. It says the way we're undermining nature and exploiting the environment uh, and just throwing everything out of balance is causing this extinction. And uh, which people have to really know is that that includes us, <laughs> uh, that uh, uh, NASA in a massive study uh, revealed that in a couple of decades, uh, there will be an irreversible collapse of industrial civilization. So we're in a state of chaos at this moment. And well, you look outside and you go, oh, my God, this is really scary. Things are upside down. I mean, we're every level of crisis that we're dealing with is collectively part of the major crisis of this extinction event. And uh, there's, okay, so where's the light at the end of the tunnel here? And basically it comes down to this. We cannot build a sustainable civilization on the foundation that we're presently living in because the foundation of our culture is what's causing the mass extinction. Uh, and, and crisis precipitates evolution. When you hit the wall, it, you have to do something different at this point. So what we're seeing is a transition where we're beginning to learn that to survive on this planet, uh, we cannot do it the, the old way. It's falling apart at every level, political, economic, religious, uh, healthcare, everything's falling apart. But it's an interesting part because you need to go through a chaos if you're going from structure A and transforming into structure B, there's a in-between little period of chaos where it looks like it's all just falling down and random, but it's actually, no, one system is giving way to another system. And so for my important uh, hopeful message at this moment is when you see the crises that are surrounding us, uh, rather than being in fear of these crises, in fact, we must welcome these crises for a simple reason. Uh, they're causing us to create a new foundation for our world. And without that new foundation, uh, extinction is looming. Uh, and this is not in a thousand years. We're, we're talking uh, within a hundred years. Uh, this place will be upside down compared to the way we see it. So it's a wake up call. It says that uh, we're moving. We're evolving. Uh, there's a new version of uh, civilization uh, forming right now. And the exciting part for me is uh, I'm talking to a community of what uh, I would call cultural creatives, people who are seeking new answers and new insights into life and how we can move through it. And that's why uh, I'm in deep appreciation of being here and, and having this opportunity to talk, Rabbi. So let me ask you this. I mean, this, this one we did to ourselves. I mean, nobody from another planet just hurled a meteor at Mexico. Uh, I imagine the president might've said if we had a wall up back then in the dinosaur times, it might've, it might've helped us out. But but it, it was it wasn't done by plan. That's that's what I'm going to assume here. I know some of our listeners might say, no, 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 God planned the whole thing. But uh, and Einstein was wrong in that case. You know, God doesn't play dice with the universe. God bowls, and we ended up with the end of the dinosaurs. But this one we did to ourselves. Why do you think that we need to survive at all? 
maybe we maybe this is as far as humans get and then this is what happens you get a, a, a civilization like ours that is built on a fundamentally suicidal self-destructive psychosocial archetype and this is this is the end of it and the whole thing has to come to a, an end uh, for something else to emerge but it wasn't like dinosaur 2.0 so it won't be human 2.0 it'll be who knows what well, that's it. Uh, this is really the, you know, the the interesting part of the moment is like, what is the outcome? The answer is I can't tell you what the outcome. Nobody can tell you what the outcome is because it's in a state of upheaval at this moment. Uh, very interesting fact is this is not the first time that uh, civilization, advanced civilization has faced the uh, crises like today. Uh, there's a history of this. In fact, uh, there uncovered, uncovered a city called Gobleki Tepe uh, in Turkey. And what's interesting about the city it was a massive city uh, with an advanced civilization. Uh, what's interesting is that they actually physically covered up the city. I mean, it wasn't like erosion and dirt and dust has piled up on it. They physically covered up their entire city. Don't ask me why. They disappeared, whoever they were. But here was the point. This was over 10,000 years ago. Uh, and the relevance about that is in our conventional history books, we say, oh, civilization started like in the Tigris-Euphrates Basin, of, you know, 5000 BC. And I go like, geez, come on, man, 5000 years before that, this massive civilization existed and they left. And it's like, who are they? Where, where are they? What, what happened? The only thing I can tell you right now, because it's a parallel, is um, the time of their exodus uh, is linked to uh, a period of climate change. And uh, what's real interesting is because if you go where the city is in Turkey, uh, it's somewhat of an arid desert kind of environment. And, and the point about it is this, it, there, there was no way they could grow food uh, in that area to support a large population. So on the you know, surface, it looks like climate change uh, forced them to go find other places to live because they were no longer able to grow food. Well, that makes that makes sense, except in, in, in your essay, one of the things you say is there's no place for us to go now. Uh, now, some people will talk about going, getting off the planet. Uh, I, I know that's not necessarily where you want, where you want to take, you know, that's not what you're suggesting. But where, where do we go? There, you think, where we think, go is, yeah. the first thing we have to learn is how come we have this issue with nature and it's very simple and very obvious and it starts with actually the concept of genesis and that is first nature was created and then humans were like added on as an option on another day uh, and the simple reality is well that disconnects us consciously from the environment because like oh we were here to have dominion over the environment and it was created for us and all that kind of stuff it's like well that's that's not really uh, the, the, the face of it. And truth is, we evolved from this environment. We are part of this environment that everything in this environment uh, underneath us led to us being where we are. So it was not an accident. It was, a, it was an evolutionary process. And, and the relevance about that is right now is um, we have taken that for granted that somehow we are separate from nature. You can do whatever the heck you want on the planet. It's like, no, we have lost what the Aboriginal people have already known, especially like First Nation people here in Canada or Native Americans in, in, in the U.S. They knew 10,000 years ago that the, the role of humans was being a gardener in, the, in this beautiful garden. 
Well, you know, that it's interesting you bring it up that way because, I mean, now you're in my bailiwick, Genesis, right? So, so the first chapter of Genesis says exactly what you said. It's called the, this is what I call it, the alien invasion theory of humanity, that everything was going fine. The garden was blossoming. Earth was, was, was fecund. Everything was functioning perfectly. And then we showed up in order to you know, take control. And it's a disaster, and I get that. Genesis 2, on the other hand, says exactly what you just said, that in, in the second story of creation in Genesis 2, nothing is growing, and it, the Bible says there's two things that are missing. One is water, and the other are gardeners. And first the water comes, and then the, the human being is created directly from the earth. In the, in the English, you miss the pun, but in the Hebrew... It's the earthling from the earth, Adam from Adama. And it says that you're here to, to be the gardener, that, that our role is to midwife the creativity of nature, to, to care for the garden and not to dominate it. But as you said, we've gone with Genesis 1. We see ourselves as offlanders. And a lot of us believe in a religion that says, you know, this world is just a stepping stone to the better world. And we, that's where we're going. And so you know, we make a mess of this place because we don't, you know, it's a rental. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rabbi, that, uh, that's a, absolutely true. And, uh, and it's unfortunate because uh, th- that is w- what has led to our, our dismissing our relationship with this relationship uh, with, the, with the planet. Uh, and yet the, the planet is coming around. It's very clear. The, the garden is, by definition, a place of harmony and cooperation. That's what a garden is all about. Unfortunately, in our Darwinian culture, which has captivated the world, uh, we've turned this garden into, you know, a struggle for survival and, a, you know, fighting and uh, competition and all that kind of stuff. It's like uh, the idea that the, the garden is a battleground is like that. That's like totally outside of the understanding of nature that we ha- that we've been living so inappropriately on this planet that that what we've done is, is forgotten how powerful we are in influencing this pattern uh, when we were just local people in a local community the world was so big it did you know it was like yeah we were irrelevant but today's world is not humans are irrelevant humans are, are a major force that is destabilizing the system because of our belief system that there's always more uh, and the reality is, well, look, look, there's a box and the earth is in this box and that's all you've got. And, and what we have to really come back to is learning to live in harmony with it. So the beautiful part about it is it doesn't mean we end, but it really means that in the immediate future, we're going to have to learn to live in a completely different way than the cultures have, have, have supported for uh, the last couple of hundred years. Uh, the whole idea of violence and competition. Uh, is an erroneous picture for evolution because evolution uh, is really based on leading cooperation and community. A garden, by definition, is a community that to be in the garden, we have to be a member of a community uh, and and not be dominating the system, especially with a lack of awareness that we are using uh, in in treating the environment at this point. So you write about this uh, the changing of beliefs in spontaneous evolution. So th- this book is is almost, I guess, eight years old. You co-wrote it with uh, Steve Bierman. And in that book, if I have my, my memory serves, you focused on the need for humanity to change, for us to change our beliefs and therefore our behaviors. And you're saying the same thing, you know, now. That 
That's tough. You know, I mean, you're saying it only goes back a couple of centuries. I, I would suggest it goes back thousands of years. These, this belief that we really don't fit in, at least, I don't know, maybe that's just Western culture and, and maybe not. You know, that is a yeah. East. That is a difference with Eastern and Western culture because Eastern has always been a community locked into environment and ecology. I mean, they've always lived with nature uh, and read nature and, and lived through that awareness. And we sort of disconnected, uh, have lost the voice of talking to nature. But the the beautiful part is there are still indigenous people here that have that wisdom. Uh, who should we should be sitting at their feet? Uh, and getting the insights of how to communicate with this living thing called nature, uh, because our disconnect is really where the problem is. And yet, it, it doesn't, you know, as I said, well, the bad news, the old system is falling down. Well, it's not really bad news, because if the old system maintains itself, uh, extinction is looming, looming very quickly on the horizon. So good news, the system is breaking down. Uh, but the better news is, there's a, a way of putting it back together again to, where we learn to live in harmony and recognize that the evolution that we're facing is not the evolution of an individual organism, it's the evolution of the community. And in this particular case, it's going to be the evolution of the community of humans, where we see ourselves as a dispersed population of uh, separate people with separate borders and countries and walls and belief systems and all that. And yet, if you see it from a biological point of view, uh, we are each each human a cell in the forming body of something bigger, a super organism called humanity. Uh, and that's why the barriers and the walls between nations and things are are destabilizing because uh, the idea of separation is where the problem comes from. When we recognize we're all all in the same body, uh, the idea of hurting each other would be like, yeah, wh which organ do you want to fight? Which organ in your body is like, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, but we're killing ourselves. It's a, right. equipment of autoimmune disease, self-destruction. Uh, yeah. Wake up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, you're, you're looking at it from a, as a, as a biologist, you could look at it from uh, an astrophysicist, I suppose, or cosmology perspective. When I had a synagogue uh, on the, uh, at the front of the synagogue, we had, you know, the, the Jewish flag and the American flag. We also had the earth flag. And the idea was this was really your home. The promised land was, was planet earth itself. And we used uh, the earth flag icon is the photograph of the earth floating in the blackness of space taken by the Apollo astronauts. That, and, that actually, uh, Rabbi, that is the seed. That was a seed. That image was a seed for the new civilization in 1969. Uh, and, uh, and it's really part of a, a fractal picture uh, that, that uh, civilization's evolution uh, is a parallel to the evolution of, of animals from invertebrates through the vertebrate level. Uh, the seeding in 1969, uh, what it did to those people, the hippies, uh, who were back there at that time, uh, they saw that, oh, my God, that's all there is, that beautiful blue-green thing. And all of a sudden, the idea of, oh, we got to nurture the planet. We have to nurture ourselves. We have to take care of the babies, the air, the water. That was the seed. I go, nurturing is the character of mammals. And the civilization that was seeded in 1969, when that evolutionary picture of the Earth on the moon's horizon was revealed, was the foundation of a new civilization. But uh, if you go back, 
the 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 head civilization at that moment was called the reptiles uh, and the reptiles are, are the machines the big giant dinosaurs which are corporations and they suppressed this mammalian generation because first of all they were kids they had no money they had no influence in 69 but now their grandchildren and the elders that have that were struck by that imagery of my god take care of this place uh are into positions of power now and so as we're evolving in this chaos into something new there's the image of those hippies uh as being is going to be replaying through this and that's where nurturing and love you know that was all the summer of love and harmony and peace and all that that is is what we're moving into as the dinosaurs the corporations are beginning to falter and also recognize the dinosaur civilization was was uh, powered by oil the blood of the dinosaur which is running out which is also spelling an end to that version of civilization so we're in an evolutionary upheaval which is exciting going from a a dinosaur uh, fight each other competition violent world into a world uh, of uh, nature and nurture and harmony and love uh, as individuals are realizing uh, the drive of people is almost collectively the same. There's a small percent that feel that they're in control and uh, that small percent in control is is misdirecting our, our awareness. And, and so it's a time of change and coming back to nature again. So I would love to believe that. Um, my problem is, so yeah, 1969, we got the siege from Apollo, but then you just told us, you know, 20, 15 minutes ago from 1970 to now we've lost two thirds of, you know, the life on the planet and, and the, <laughs> well, you, but the people who run the corporations are us. I mean, the millen, the, you know, I worry that, I mean, I don't know how old, uh, you know, the Facebook uh, Zuckerberg is, but I don't know if I want to trust him <laughs> with the future of the planet. So, so I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, if there's two kinds of things going, I mean, what you're, what you're talking about and what I would love to say, you know, I, that I, that I do say amen to is sort of going back to this organic uh, human with humus earthling with the earth, that kind of summer of love, 1968 kind of thing. Okay, I get that. What I'm worried about is we're going even more extremely into the alien invader mentality, and we're creating a civilization that is not going to be so, uh, you know, dependent on the blood of dinosaurs or, you know, decayed dinosaurs turned into to fuel, fossil fuels, but it's going to become this ethereal, um, oh, I don't know, internet kind of kind of thing. It's it's rather than a carbon based life form, we're going to go to a silicon based life form, and we're and we're going to lose humanity in the process and become transhuman. That that we're going to have less and less and less connection to the physical because we will not value it, and we're going to value we're gonna, we'll value instead the ethereal or the mental, and that's where the money is, and that's where the the attraction is. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, 
a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. I mean, does, does your optimism hold up when you look at where corporations are going? Oh, absolutely, because Good. I'm dealing myself with, with what are called conscious corporations. So there's a new vision. There's actually a new uh, uh, classification uh, of corporations that are based on community and harmony. They get a whole different structure. I, I can't remember if it was a Corp G or something. Uh, there's a, spe- a separate name for it. Uh, and so we're moving into more conscious corporations. Now, it's in an interface, of course. So we're moving out of uh, give me all the money you can to a world where, look, there's not going to be jobs anyway. Uh, I, I use a, a video in my, my lectures of the Tesla plant here in California. Uh, and when I show people this whole plan, it's like the car is being built and you don't see any people around. Right. It's all being done by machine. Uh, and the reality is, so what does that mean? Does that mean we're all just out of work and dying? No, it means there's going to be a change in how the whole civilization is going to run, only because if it doesn't change, uh, disaster is looming and that that'll be that. And there'll be people who are going to hold on to the end, you know, and, you know, hold on, like, uh, th- that's going to come back again. It's like, no, we're not going back to anything. We're moving forward to something new. Uh, and that's something new is it's like, well, no, on the surface, it really looks crappy. I have to admit, I mean, I don't like looking at the newspapers every day, but then I look at, there's two parts of me, the guy who lives here in the States and has his home in California. And there's the guy who's a little bit outside of this, looking at this giant picture of the planet, uh, evolution, environment, cellular stuff, all that. And there's two different aspects. And so, yeah, uh, I sit here in California, look at the news and go, oh, my God, <laughs> I can't believe this. Uh, and then I step back into my perspective view and go, every bit of this is a necessary element to transition from A to B. And if it doesn't happen, it would actually be worse if you if there was no chaos it would be a much more disastrous sign because it said nobody's moving uh, and, and the process we are moving. Where are we moving to? Ah, that's a cool, uh, a cool question, but is there an answer? And the answer is not really right now uh, in the world of quantum physics and mechanics, which is the mechanisms of the universe. Uh, there's a very important concept called emergence. Uh, and emergence means when things come together, uh, outcomes become different than, than you could ever imagine by knowing what all the individual pieces do. In other words, for example, uh, you can study a transistor and a capacitor and you could study a resistor and you can study, uh, you know, a chip, uh, at this level as a switch. Uh, but e- knowing all those little pieces, you don't see a computer. It was the computer had to be put together from the pieces studying. I'm an expert on resistors. Yeah, but I have no idea what the hell a computer is. Uh, And so putting all the pieces together results in something that you couldn't imagine if you knew what every piece was doing independently before they were assembled. Now, that analogy applies to this. The world is changing so quickly. New information is coming in so fast that we cannot really accurately predict anything about what's going to happen because the, the nature of this quantum mechanical universe is things emerge, boom, they came out of something you didn't even see. Uh, and, and so I sit here with 
okay, man, keep my eyes open. <laughs> watch this thing happening here. Uh, watch it from a not being involved in it by pulling outside of it because there, the when we talk, talk about biology and life and energy, uh, uh, there are things you can do that that can change the world. And there are things that can do that you do that don't do anything but use up your energy, which is your life. And when we start to realize to to put our energy into the things that will sustain us and stop fighting the things that the, when you fight something you you, you lose your energy in it. Uh, I, I use that illustration. I show two wires. Uh, one with a positive end, one with a negative end. And the moment you touch them together, sparks and fire and flames and everything, and the two wires melt and you got nothing left. I say, the energy, if you take your energy to fight an opposite energy, then you're you're gonna neutralize your energy. It's gonna cancel out. It's wasted. So this is this is a I'm gonna jump in because we're gonna run out of time, but this notion of of energy is is really important. And in the essay in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health, this essay called How and Why to Let Go of Fear, you've got this wonderful sidebar uh, that says, it's entitled The Do's and Don'ts of Evolution. And then you say, because you are an energy field, and that's where you're taking us now, and then you list these four things. So by, by way of closing, I don't want to shortchange it too much, but, but I do, I, I'm aware that we're, we're going to go over time here. But, but I, I'm going to go through this anyway with you because it was so fascinating and it's so counterintuitive. So I'm going to just read you each of the four points. And if you can just elaborate a little bit on each one, that's, that's how we'll bring this conversation to a close. So you say, because you are an energy field, don't, don't try to change other people. Yeah. Uh, and the reason is this, that each individual is a creator unto themselves and this involves uh, and i'm going to use the word spirituality but i if i just want to go into the realm of quantum physics i say field uh because field uh the definition of field is invisible moving forces that influence the physical world and by coincidence the definition of spirit is invisible moving forces that influence the physical world that there's a a, a coming together of an understanding here about this energy and the relevance each one of us is a creator and when we are creating, uh, we're using our conscious and our subconscious minds. This is really cool. And, and the whole idea about this is, though, uh, I cannot change your conscious or subconscious mind. I can talk to your conscious mind. You can listen to what I'm going to say, but that will not change your programming, that all of us have been programmed. And that if you don't understand that you've been mm that somebody else is programmed and then you're going to try and talk to their program uh, mm. to ask them to change. It, it, it's like this, uh, 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 either an old fashioned tape recorder or a current like CD recorders uh, as a, a machine that makes a program, you record a program, you push a button and the program plays all over and over and over and over again. And I go, so here's the issue. Uh, the subconscious mind is the equivalent of the player. It's got uh, habits, which are programs that when you push the button, they just play over again. Well, the point about it is simply this. If, if a person has a habit and you're trying to talk to them and use your energy to help them see a better way and everything, the idea is this, that subconscious mind doesn't uh, respond to that. There's nobody in the subconscious mind. Try, try to have a discussion with your subconscious mind. It's like, well, have a discussion with a CD player. You know, just say, the, hey, the program's not, I don't like this program, so go up to the player and say, you know, you could do a better program than that. I, you, you know, I don't like this one. I say, well, how much talking to the CD player Will it take before the program changes? The answer, you can talk to your blue in the face. It's never going to change. 
Now, a person who you, you know, other people, including yourself, we have the conscious mind, the subconscious, the subconscious is the CD player with programs. And science has revealed that the programs in the subconscious run 95% of our lives. So if someone's having trouble with their life and their conscious mind running only about 5%, which is their spirit or feel connection, uh, has all their wishes and desires, that's the creative mind. And they come to you and they say, oh, my life is blah, 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 and blah, blah. I go, this is really cool. They're talking to you this. And I said, then you're going to talk back. And I'm going to say, and the problem is this, the, their, their behavior is coming from the subconscious. It has nothing to do with right. the conscious mind. And uh, you're not going to change the subconscious mind by talking to them because that's right. not how, it's not how it changes. So you put out all your beautiful effort to give them every reason why life would be better if they did this and this. And then they walk away and guess what? They're playing a program. They're going to play the same damn program they've been playing it because that does not change a program. So trying to talk somebody into change, uh, they're the ones that have to decide to, to uh, push the record button in a sense on their subconscious and put new programs in. But you can do this for yourself because you do say focus on yourself. So if I'm, if, but if I'm 95%, if I'm being run, if 95% of my life is being run for my unconscious, can the 5% change that? In, within me, so I can change myself, but not, but not you. No, no, you can't change me because I'm the only one that's going to have access right. to my my program. So, okay, so okay, that's that was my point. You can change yeah. the program, you can talk to me all you want, but I'm not changing the program, right? A, because right. most people don't even know they have the program, uh, and that's why it's invisible. It's like that they come with open heart. Please help me. I need this help. You give them all this help, and then they walk away and they still do the same thing. It's so. because the behavior was not coming from that conscious mind. Okay, so that's that's the, the the takeaway is that, okay, I can't change you, but I can change, I have access to my own subconscious mind. I can make, I can make the changes. So so let's go through the next three, the, the, the other three, and I'm afraid we're gonna have to do it a little bit shorter, but you, you say, because, no, it's fascinating, because you are an energy field, don't try to change the system. That's uh, the, just very briefly, the image I showed of, two wires coming together, each one energy, one we'll call positive, one we'll call negative. Uh, when you bring those wires together and they touch, that's called a short circuit. The short circuit results in a flame and the melting and sparks and the wire and then all the energy disappears and the wires melted and nothing happened. You just, you wasted the energy. It didn't change anything. So the idea is this, if the system has got this powerful movement of energy and you say, I'm gonna take my energy and go in there and fight that system, I say, well, that's taking your wire and touching it to this opposite voltage, the other side, the polarity. And as a result, you are not changing them. You're, you're, you have much less energy than they have. Mm. Uh, you're going to burn up your wire and you're going to run out of energy. I say, well, what did you change? And the answer is nothing. Nothing. And that's, and that's why you say put your energy into constructing a new system. Absolutely, step outside. But guess what? You won't be alone because everybody else is looking for where the hell can we go and get the heck out of this place. And and that's really, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's really your third one, which is don't spend your life protesting. Instead, find out who's protesting with you and, and band together and create this this new system. Right, because if you add your positive, if everybody around you is positive energy, then by definition, you have a massive positive force. Okay. Uh, and, and that force is so so big as more and more people join that that's the energy that creates the world. Now, it's kind of funny because we have to take this jump that's so, for the average person on the street, it's like, what? I'm going to go, look. the fact of science, this is a fact, 
that um, the, the most valid science on this planet is quantum, quantum physics. That's, um, there's nothing more valid as science on this planet. And quantum physics has the, the fullest understanding that, that our consciousness is creating this, this thing we experience called life and the planet and all this stuff like this. And that we're in energy fields and that we're manipulating energy and all this stuff. And that when we start to recognize we're energy, it says, well, your energy is your life. I mean, they've always said that, right. that you got a lot of energy, got a lot of life. And so our energy is our life. And when you start to dissipate your energy and add it to things that have no feedback, you know, if you add your energy to something and it grows, you go, oh, well, I'm investing my energy and it's going to get bigger and I'm sharing energy. And that's great. And I say, if you put your energy into something that has no feedback for you, then what you've done is just you've dissipated your own life source. And the whole nice. reality is you, you must step outside this and recognize, uh, create this other world on the outside. That's the only way evolution has ever occurred. It doesn't work from changing the inside. It works just from creating a new outside. Yeah. So don't protest, invest. I think that's a good one. Well, that's here's, a, that, that works for me. That's that, well, I took it from what you just said. So here's the last one. And, and this will be the last point we're going we're gonna to make tonight. Um, you say, because you are an energy field, don't become frightened or angry or burned out. And that's what a lot of people are, are, are dealing with right now for a variety of reasons. We're frightened and we're angry and we're burned out. But you have a positive message. So let's close with that. Well, the, the positive message very clearly is, is this, is that um, our biological system uh, is either in growth or protection. And I say, uh, I mean that either the energy of your biology is moving toward growth and helping you stay alive and keep your system healthy and running and vital and providing all that energy of life, or you're in protection. And, and when I say, or you're in protection means this, that then you allocate your energy for walling yourself off. Growth is you go out and you're open to assimilate things and take it in. So you go toward something positive with your arms open to assimilate a positive stimulus into your life growth. And I say, but if the stimulus is negative, A, you don't go toward it, and B, you don't go with your arms open, you close yourself down and move away. So here's the simple point. Uh, you cannot move forwards and backwards at the same time. You cannot be open and closed at the same time. The conclusion is you cannot be in growth and in protection at the same time. That the idea of protection uh, takes our energy from our body away from the growth mechanisms and gets us ready for fight or flight. Uh, and the relevance about that is then you've compromised your growth. And more importantly, the immune system is, uh, uh, interferes when you, if you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger and you've got a bacterial infection, how would, you, how would you split your energy while you're running away? How much would you fight the bacteria with and how much would you put toward running away from the tiger? And the obvious answer is the hell with the bacteria. I mean, all the energy is going to be running away from the tiger. Uh, the story and analogy that's very important that is this, that when we have fears and threats of the outside world, the stress hormones shut down the immune system. The immune system is internal protection, and it uses a tremendous amount of your vital energy. I mean, if you ever get sick, you know, sometimes you don't have energy to get out of bed. So the immune system is a heavy drain on energy. If you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, the body releases stress hormones to allocate the energy for fight or flight. And at the same time, uh, it shuts down the immune system so that the available energy is all used for running away. The problem is that when this fight or flight growth uh, duality existed or was created uh, millions of years ago, 
the only thing we ran away from was a saber-toothed tiger. And once you got away from the tiger, uh, there was no more stress on your life. So stress was only used for a short intermittent period because it shuts down growth and it shuts down the immune system. Uh, and, and then we find, well, look at today's world. Turn on the TV, uh, look on the Internet, read a newspaper, and you realize you are con constantly dripping stress hormones into the system. The consequence is twofold. One, you stop the maintenance and growth of the body, which leads to a physical breakdown. And secondly, you are also shutting down the immune system, which opens you up and you're rife for infection. And all of a sudden you see, look at the healthcare crisis we're facing. And everyone thinks, oh, it must be genes and stuff like that. And it turns out genes are responsible for less than 1% of the disease issues that we have. It's lifestyle and environment. That, that are shaping 90% or more of our illness. And so here we are in a healthcare crisis looking for somebody to give you a drug when it's like, no, it's our consciousness, it's our stress levels. These, th these are the direct causes of the illness on this planet. And, and, and the programming, uh, of course, that we got in the first seven years uh, has been disastrous for us because that's when we're running 95% of our life from the subconscious, it primarily is driving habits that we acquired before age seven. Uh, and uh, the idea that we've been programmed, uh, you know, the movie The Matrix, everyone thinks it's science fiction. No, the movie The Matrix is a documentary. Everyone, <laughs> everyone biologically has been programmed between the last trimester of pregnancy and age seven. Uh, uh, even our uh, cousins, and I use that loosely, the Jesuits, uh, uh, had a saying for 400 years Give me a child until it's seven and I will show you the man. The point is very clear. It's over 400 years that people have known how you can program somebody for the first seven years and then by that definition control the outcome of their life, which now we know is due to the fact that 95% of our life is coming from that program. Uh, and I say, we've been programmed much uh, uh, more effectively than the Jesuits knew about programming in the world in which we live right now. So the answer is... Take the red pill. <laughs> using, using your matrix analogy, we're going to have to end it with that. Take the red pill. Go ahead. One word on this, because people have done this without even knowing it, uh, and it's my book called The Honeymoon Effect. Uh, and basically it says this, your life could suck every day, blah, 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 every day, every day. And then you meet this person, and 24 hours later, you're like, oh, my God, life is beautiful. It's heaven on earth. I'm healthy. I'm happy. I'm enjoying my life. And I go. That was available the entire time, but it was falling in love. Science recognized represents the red pill because it keeps us mindful, keeps us in the conscious mind, and we stop defaulting to the subconscious program. And I say, look what happens the moment you stop playing the program, and the answer is you created heaven on earth. Ah, now that is a great place to stop. Our guest today was Dr. Bruce Lipton. His essay, How and Why to Let Go of Fear, appears in the September-October issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about his work at brucelipton.com. Bruce, this was amazing conversation. Thank you for, for all of this input, and boy, this could have gone on for hours. So I thanks. wish it could have. <laughs> thank you so much for the opportunity, and Ezra, thank you back there uh, for helping us get this moving along the road here. But especially thanks to the audience, because uh, our future uh, is in your, your uh, uh, way of life. 
Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness with yogis from around the world, and do so in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.